Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning to you. It's wonderful to be with you wherever you are. I feel it's a real privilege. My name is Maria, and during the day, I spend my time at a secondary school in Tulse Hill in Brixton. The rest of my time is mostly, mostly taken up with the Ministry of Spiritual Direction in its many, many guises. I am also a doting mother of one daughter and even more doting grandmother to three wonderful children whom I miss desperately. And by the way, just in case you're wondering where my accent or my intonation come from, I was born in Lisbon, in Portugal, and that is where I grew up until I came to this country when I was 18. Oh, I think last millennium. That's about right. So we have been studying the book of Nehemiah since the beginning of the year, believe it or not, for longer than it took to rebuild the walls, which I think is extraordinary. (laughs) But the wall is finished. Did you notice that last week when Zeke was preaching? It is finished. And what we really need to remember and take hold of, it is against extraordinary opposition that Nehemiah's energy and vision and passion galvanized the people of God into action. Quite extraordinary. And you see, what they did is they made Jerusalem safe again. The temple and temple worship can operate in safety, and the reading and teaching of the Torah can take place in freedom, just like we've been thinking about this morning. By the way, Torah is Hebrew shorthand for the first five books of the Bible. Now, before we dive into Nehemiah 7, because this is where we are right now, and this morning we're going to be doing Nehemiah 7 and a bit of Nehemiah 8, let us remind ourselves very, very quickly why this is just no mere, you know, flip project, let's face it. Because back in 586 BCE, 2,600 years ago, Jerusalem had been to the ground by the invading Babylonian Empire. And at that point, a message of hope arose from Jeremiah and from Hezekiah, sorry, Ezekiel, about a remnant who would return and who would rebuild and out of whom would come a savior, a messiah, an anointed king. And this is the message This is the message that they carried with them as they returned 70 years later. They were now under Persian rule, and it was about 42,000 exiles who returned. And just as a kind of by the way, interesting to note that one of them was Zerubbabel, and he was no ordinary guy. He was a prince from David's line. And if you want to know how important it is, look up Matthew 112. He turns up in Jesus' genealogy at the beginning of that gospel. Two and a half thousand years later, someone was paying attention. 
Of course, just as significant, they rebuilt the altar first and then the temple and began to offer sacrifices again. Now, fast forward eight years, it was complicated rebuilding the temple, lots of politics going on. But at that point, Ezra, a Bible teacher, comes and he brings with him an awesome team, a team of Levites and temple singers and temple guards and temple servants and, pri sorry, priests. And he, he came because of another royal decree from Babylon. And uh, just hang on to that, because later on, Ezra is going to turn up in our story. So, 12 years after Ezra, Nehemiah arrives. And what he finds is that temple worship and teaching of the Torah is as vulnerable as ever, because Jerusalem is not fortified. The walls are still in ruins. And this is a far, far cry from that prophetic word of hope that is ringing in his ears. So this was the inspiration behind Nehemiah's passion, vision, and energy. And he did it. So what happened next? Do you have a Bible with you? Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 7. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it will appear on your screen. Now, most of the chapter is given up to a census that Nehemiah dug up, which had been taken of the original people who first arrived all those decades ago. So we're going to skip that, and we're going to concentrate on verses 1 to 5, and then jump over to verse 73. After the wall had been rebuilt, Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 5 and 73. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had kept the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, make them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and so the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical records of those who had been the first to return. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns. Thank you so, so much, Dan family. We shall hear more from Phil and Georgie, Evie and Lila a bit later on. So did you notice in this passage that Nehemiah's priority was temple worship? 
because you see his deepest, deepest desire is to see the place of God's dwelling, the beating heart of the community function properly again. And what do you know? And this sounds incredibly familiar. He appoints a welcome team, a worship team, and a ministry team. Very familiar, isn't it? And the dream team, of course. Next, Nehemiah turns his attention to immediate security problems. And goodness, he was a decisive man. In verses 2 and 3, he appoints two people, gives them a one-item agenda and two action points. Job done. Now, he turns to Jerusalem's long-term viability. And once again, we see him contemplating the city and praying. And the answer that God puts in his heart is to take a new census of the population. Having taken stock of the city, Nehemiah takes stock of the citizens. And here the narrative takes a major, major shift. Because in fact, if you want to know what he did with all that information, you have to skip all the way to chapter 11. But please don't do it, at least not just yet, not right now. So just for a moment, I want us to pause and to leave Zerubbabel, or his descendants rather, Ezra and Nehemiah, and all the ancient Israelites, and just for a minute, come back to our present reality. And first, I want to acknowledge the vision, the passion, and the energy of our own leadership. Can I get an amen for that? Whether you are full-time, part-time, or spare time, whether you are paid or volunteer, we honor you. We honor you and all that you have done and are doing as you steer us and lead us through the, this incredibly difficult, challenging season. And then I want to acknowledge all those teams who enable our community to function day to day and especially, especially on a Sunday. Thank you. We really appreciate what you do. And finally, I want to acknowledge all those individuals who are making our community safe, the Hananis and the Hananias of our V61 community. It is a huge task as you keep us safe physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we thank you. We are so grateful for what you do. So, let us go right back, travel back in time, two and a half thousand years. We've noticed Jerusalem is ready, the structures are ready, and here comes the shift. It is time for the people to get ready. And for the next three chapters, this is what um, takes center stage, the people, not the city. So we go from city to citizens. And what strikes me is that we are also experiencing a shift. Um, bad weather this coming week notwithstanding, we are definitely moving from winter to spring. And God's good creation is waking up and inviting us to wake up as well. And perhaps in an even more immediate way, we are moving from coronavirus season to vaccination season. And this is inviting us to prepare to return and to rebuild. So what can we learn from the people of God 
two and a half thousand years ago. Quite a lot, it turns out. So what does it take for the people to get ready? Turn to Nehemiah 8. And as you hear the passage being read, what do you notice? What intrigues you? Perhaps you might even like to join the crowd. Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Amazing reading with some really difficult names there. Thank you, thank you, Phil, for attempting um, that particular verse. So did you notice this is the first day of the seventh month? And you might be tempted to think, oh, it's the 1st of July. Actually, no, it's not. It is New Year's Day. Uh, it's around about mid-September to mid-October. And of one accord, did you notice this? The men, the women, and the people who could understand, that means the children, old enough to understand what was going on, they gathered in a public square in Jerusalem, having previously booked the preacher, chosen the topic of the preach, built him a platform. Actually, the Hebrew word here is tower. They built him a tower and um, got ready to hear and understand the word of God. The preacher is Ezra, the one I mentioned earlier. And he brings with him, yep, his ministry team. Of course he does. So what do you notice about this gathering? I noticed that the crowd were really thirsty for the word of God. They stood, they listened closely with reverence and with awe. I also noticed that the uh, ministry team scattered amongst the people. 
making sure they understood what was being said, probably even translating uh, from Hebrew to Aramaic, because remember, they'd all been born under captivity, and at that time, Aramaic was the language of the empire. Their Hebrew might have been a bit rusty. So I like to think of this New Year's Day as a time when they took stock, when they took an inventory, so to speak. They wanted to ponder their story of exile and return in the light of God's own story, as told in the law of Moses, the Torah. So Ezra read to them of the origins of humankind, how it had all gone wrong and why, and also of God's plan to put it right, of which they were such a crucial part. This was their gospel, the good news they were so wanting to hear and understand. And this scene reminded me of my own exile. In my 50s, my life fell apart in the most heartbreaking and devastating way. Much of what I had given my time, my energy, my devotion to for the best part of 30 years just crashed around me, was raised like Jerusalem to the ground. My Babylon was divorce. Like the ancient Israelites, I too was blessed with my very own Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah, three wonderful friends who all happened to be called Jane. <laughs> and this is absolutely true. And they helped me to return and to rebuild. And like the ancient Israelites, in wanting to take stock of my life, I turned to the Gospels, my Torah, my good news. And the Jesus who had accompanied me all my life was now sitting with me by a well because I was so very thirsty. And he let me touch the edge of his garment because I was completely depleted. I heard him tell me that I must be born again, defeated as I felt. And then finally, he reminded me that he had left the 99, the flock, to come and find me, lost sheep that I was. And finally, he breathed his spirit on me to comfort me, inconsolable, truly inconsolable and weak as I found myself. And this is the invitation from me to you as an individual and also for us as a church at this time as God prepares us to return and to rebuild as we are and as we will. Let us take stock of where we have been, where we have come from, where we are right now and where we're going. And as well as taking stock Let's do what the Israelites did and let us commit ourselves to be a people who hear 
and understand scripture and want to do it with a passion, with our will and our desire set to know God through his word, particularly the Gospels and Acts, for they hold what the people of Israel longed for, the coming of the anointed king of the line of David, whose name, Yeshua, means salvation. Jesus, God has put things right at last. So as Tim Mackey from the Bible Project and my modern day Ezra is fond of saying, how are you doing? How are you doing? We are very nearly there. So let's get back to New Year's Day, two and a half thousand years ago, and find out what happened next in that very public Jerusalem square. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 to 12. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Thank you so much, Dunn family, for bringing God's work, word alive for us today. So although we don't have time to cover the rest of chapter 8, basically what happens is that this New Year's Day was followed by a week-long celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles like they had never celebrated before. So step one in getting the people ready was hearing and understanding, and it certainly had a profound impact. Who or what can safely hold their grief? Who or what can give them strength to face their reality? And at this point, rather than encouraging this huge outpouring of grief, the leadership do something fascinating. Did you notice? Of course you did. As one, they told those gathered to lift their eyes from themselves to God. Lift their eyes from themselves to God. Yes, of course, grief and sadness, sackcloth and ashes, confession and repentance would come for sure, and they did come, but not that day. You see, New Year's Day had always been a day set apart for the Lord when Israel came together to declare and to receive God's favor for the coming year. And this was done to the sound of very, very loud trumpets. So instead of grieving, what the leadership told the people to do was to experience the glory, the beauty, the strength, and the joy of the Lord on that holy day. God had strayed true to his promises, and his joy was now their refuge and their strength, strong enough to face their grief and their reality. 
by the way, if you are intrigued that I have added the word refuge to scripture, it's because actually the Hebrew word that is there is translated elsewhere in every occasion in the Old Testament as refuge. The translating committees decided that in this unique time, it would be called joy. So I'm arguing with neither, and I'm going for refuge and joy. I think that's okay. So what about us? What about us? Now, we have been living through a season of insanity, physical, emotional, psychological, economical, social, cultural, and spiritual insanity. At times, the landscape of our lives has hardly been recognizable. We may well call it an exile. And it's possible that at this moment, today, in this place, you are thirsty, longing to see your family and friends again. Or perhaps you are drained from working too hard or too little or just juggling too many competing priorities, trying to balance life. Perhaps at times you have felt utterly lost in a sea of emotion. You felt defeated by your circumstances. Or perhaps you just simply felt weakened, less resilient as the weeks have turned to months of this pandemic and much more besides. Here, grieving and mourning are natural and needed, absolutely, because who or what then can hold our grief? Who or what can give us strength in the face of our reality? So this morning, to you, let me be Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites. As you take stock of where you've come from, where you are, and where you are going, lift your face and lift your gaze to God. God the, God the Holy Spirit. Today, this day, do not mourn or weep. This is a holy day to our God. And it is to God's, sorry, God's glory and beauty and strength and joy as revealed by the Holy Spirit in Jesus that we turn our gaze. God is faithful, and what he promised, he has accomplished. So wh where do we go from here? If you are able, where you are, will you please stand? What follows are some words that I wrote for us, a kind of psalm for today, this holy day. This will take us straight into a time of joyful praise, and in the absence of ancient trumpets, when it comes to that point, feel free to make as much noise as you want, uh, or and as long as your neighbors can stand it, of course. So go find tambourine, a triangle, a saucepan, whatever you. Make as much noise as you possibly can, whatever. The Spirit is here, and His presence is joy. So let us pray. Take a couple of deep breaths. Become aware of God's joy and favor over you. Sense your feet firmly planted on the ground. 
this day that is holy, this place, your place that is sacred. And turn your will and your deepest desires towards the Spirit who is within and without you. Praise the Lord. Today in this place, as you prepare us to return and to rebuild, you invite us to enter into your joy, our refuge and our strength. Today, in this place, where Jesus breaks the chains of our sin but does not break us, your joy is our refuge. Today, in this place where we are fortified by your love and receive your favor, O oh God, your joy is our strength. And today, in this place, where we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Your joy, O oh God, is our refuge and our strength. And today, in this place, we stand with Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites, with the men, women, and children and we ask you, prepare our hearts to return and to rebuild. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.